Hello and welcome to Opinionated Science, the podcast from Technology Networks. I'm Rory, a senior science writer for Technology Networks, and on Opinionated Science, we take a deep dive into the ocean of science and bring back pearls of wisdom while avoiding the gross floating plastic mounds of jargon. And joining me on this mission today is my colleague, Karen Stewart. How are you, Karen? I'm well, thank you. You, Rory? Yes, yes. I'm excited for today's topic, where we're going to be reviewing a pair of studies that concern tiny microorganisms, but while I'm reviewing how they could play a key role in fighting cancer from within our bodies, Karen is going to look at how other microbes play a role in breaking down the biodegradable plastics that might help modern society become more environmentally friendly. First of all, though, I want to talk about a study conducted at the NCR Biotech Science Cluster, a facility in the northern Indian state of Haryana, and led by senior author, Professor Amit Awasti. This study investigated the effects of a high salt diet. And most of the time we can sum that up by saying it's not a good thing for the body. A high salt diet can increase blood pressure and uh, occlude arteries and, and lead to essentially an increased risk of heart disease and other things as well, looking at an increased risk of stomach cancer. But one lesser known impact on high salt intake is the effect it has on our immune system. A recent study looked at how uh, the immune system was modulated by a high salt diet in mice that were a model of the neurodegenerative disease multiple sclerosis. Now, MS is commonly thought of being an, an autoimmune disease where there is sustained attack by uh, elements of our immune system, normally in place to protect our bodies on the myelin sheath coating that surrounds our neurons and helps normal transmission within the central nervous system. Now, mice don't get MS, but there is a commonly used model of MS called EAE. And a previous study found that when mice are given a high salt diet, uh, mice had, that were models of, of EAE uh, were found to have worse, um, worse effects from the disease uh, when they're on this high salt diet due to increased inflammation. So, uh, that's, that's seen as an example that high salt diets are effectively pro-inflammatory. And whilst increasing inflammation and the activity of the immune system can be a bad thing, like in the example with EAE mice, isn't always a bad thing. And in theory, the point of inflammation is actually to protect our bodies. And while in MS, this inflammation goes haywire and actually ends up attacking our bodies, in other times, a little bit more, more activity from the immune system could actually be helpful. And one of these examples is in cancer immunotherapy. Now, it's commonly noted, and Awasi told me when I interviewed him for this article that I'm going to be discussing today, which you can find in our show notes, uh, he noted that the tumor microenvironment is very immunosuppressive. And what he means by that is that there's essentially lots of processes in place within tumors and within the biology of tumors that make it harder for our immune system to find and get rid of them. And this is essentially what enables tumors to grow within our body because uh, the immune system generally recognizes that tumors aren't meant to be there, but there's numerous biological processes in place to stop the immune system activating in the way it normally would to get rid of these tumors. And uh, a, a common topic of cancer research has been developing methods by which uh, we can overcome these immunosuppressive mechanisms. And one of these key uh, drugs that has, has resulted from this research are checkpoint inhibitor therapies, which I'll get into 
a little bit later in this discussion. So we start with, as I mentioned earlier, a high salt diet. And whilst it had been noted to be harmful in EAE, uh, Wasti's team suggested that um, by increasing a high salt diet, perhaps we could stimulate the immune system and increase this inflammation. Uh, it could boost the anti-cancer um, activity of, of, of the immune system and target these tumors in a more efficient way. So uh, during the study, Wasti's team fed tumor model mice a low, medium, or high salt diet. Now, um, what they did after that was monitor the size of tumors that had been implanted in the mice and also um, their cells within the tumor and also the metabolic makeup of the, the environment of the tumor. And what they noted was that the high salt diet significantly restricted the growth of the mice's tumors. And what I really found interesting was that the reductions noted weren't just in one type of tumor. They were pretty robust in their, their investigation here. And they noted that the tumor reduction was seen in mice with melanoma, skin cancers, uh, carcinomas, and even a form of metastatic cancer where they injected tumor cells into the mice's bloodstream and had it spread throughout the body. This is um, you know, normally an incredibly difficult type of cancer to um, treat. So the fact that they were able to see this reduction just from this high salt diet was, was pretty remarkable. And the next question, obviously, is how was this? A high salt diet implementing this change was it through an increased pro-inflammatory environment well they noted that within the tumor uh, there was an increased infiltration of immune cells called natural killer cells there was a 50 percent increase in the uh, in number of these types of cells now nk cells are a kind of i uh, my article i kind of called them in a internal affairs division of the immune system so these target the body's own cells that have have gone bad and they've become environmentally affected or cancerous so they target these these turncoat cells and destroy them and these are one of the, the types of cells that are normally bamboozled by uh, tumors immunosuppressive activities but um, there was a, a kind of boost in the number of nk cells as um, provoked by the high salt diet and um, you know this, this this is a great finding obviously to note that um, you can see an increase in um, these nk cells but the, the question remained, how do we get from an increase in dietary salt into the, the stomach and an improvement to uh, tumors that are, are located outside of the digestive tract? And that is where our little microbes come in. Now, the microbiome of support is, of course, the community of microorganisms that live on and in our bodies. And it's been noted that the microbiome can play a role in so many different aspects of um, pathology and uh, drug development and checkpoint inhibitors, which I mentioned earlier, are not excluded from that. Now, checkpoint inhibitors are a type of immunotherapy, and the idea is that they block checkpoint proteins, which are these proteins that I mentioned earlier that are used by tumors uh, to suppress um, immune reaction. Now, with the, the use of checkpoint inhibitors, around 40% of cancer patients see uh, a positive response, and this means that the immune cells that were previously unable to do their job are able to reduce tumor size and effectively fight cancer. But in 60%, that remaining 60% of patients, there's not an improvement in the um, in outcome. And this is something that's long baffled um, researchers because it's often seen that the um, individuals involved have mostly the similar backgrounds and, and patient status. So why would there be this, this non-responder versus responder um, variation. Now, one uh, key thing that they've been analyzing is D 
the microbiome. Uh, and so to work out how maybe the high salt diet was affecting the microbiome, uh, Wasti's team took a detailed look at the uh, meta metabolomic and RNA signatures of uh, the, the microorganisms in their mice. And the team noted that one gut bacterial species, Bifidobacterium, was highly enriched in mice that were fed that high salt diet. And they also noted that, quite remarkably, the high salt diet seemed to increase the leakiness of the mice's gut lining, meaning that the now enriched Bifidobacterium could migrate from the gut into other areas of the body, including into the targeted tumours. Now, once inside the tumours, uh, these bacteria were then observed to activate the suppressed uh, natural killer cells, allowing them to improve their anti-tumor attack. Now, there's regardless, if we've teased out the mechanism a bit here, there's regardless still two big obstacles. Now, mice aren't humans, and it would be remiss to just study mice and say, ah, great, we have a, an effective cancer research therapy for humans. And of course, a high salt diet, as I've mentioned before, is, is pretty bad for the body and any benefits that individuals might see from piling on the salt in their diet to um, potential cancer benefits might be outweighed by the impact on their heart. Now, uh, to address this, uh, Awasi's team took data from uh, a human source. Now, it wasn't their own data, it was data taken from the lab of Nobel Prize winning Japanese scientist Tezuku Honjo, who won that Nobel Prize I mentioned uh, for the discovery of checkpoint inhibitor therapies in 2018. Now, um, Honjo's ward had produced a lot of data and um, one of the, the interesting things that his team had noted about individuals that responded uh, to checkpoint inhibitor therapy was the presence of a particular metabolomic signature um, of hippuric acid, um, which is a metabolite derived from the microbiome. And when Awasti's team looked for hippuric acid, they noted that the bifidobacterium population were also secreting hippurate. Uh, or hippuric acid. Now, connecting those two things, Awasti's team concluded that maybe the salt in the high salt diet was utilizing the same pathway as the immunotherapy drugs in a human setting. Digging down even further, the team noted that a high salt diet was able to reduce the expression of uh, an immunosuppressive checkpoint proteins, which is the, the same target of uh, Honjo's immunotherapy. And uh, based on this observation, they tried uh, an approach that cut down on the amount of salt given to the mice but instead added a, a suboptimal sub dose of checkpoint inhibitor therapy. Now, why would they use a, a suboptimal dose, you might ask? Well, checkpoint inhibitor therapy is prohibitively expensive and for um, many countries, including um, the, the country in which Oasis team is based in India, uh, these therapies are often you know, hard to access because of that price. And um, often people are paying out of their own pocket for any therapy. So any kind of approach that could essentially titrate the amount of therapy that one needs to use um, would save a lot of money for patients and make it a lot more economically viable. And what uh, OSC's data showed was that the medium salt diet, which was much lower than the high salt diet, but still able to increase the, the mice's levels of salt in the body, acted as a booster for the immunotherapy regime, uh, significantly reducing tumor size. Now, Taking this all together, does this mean everyone should be guzzling down salt rapidly? Absolutely not. We need to do far more um, research into whether the high salt diet can actually benefit humans, as opposed to just taking data from Honjo's study. And we also need to work out whether a high salt diet can be bypassed because we want to essentially avoid that the negative health effects of it. And there seems to be uh, several different ways that that could be implemented. 
OASIS team investigated the use of fecal transplants, uh, which is something that's been used in other microbiome therapies where um, essentially the microbiome of someone that responds um, to an immune therapy might be transplanted in someone that doesn't respond and hope that the increased levels of bifidobacterium might do the job of the, the high salt diet. And of course, another option could be just to take hippuric acid and, and, and use that as it seems to be that the crux of the health benefits come from this particular metabolite. But regardless of how the mechanism has actually shaken out, there's clearly some novel data going on here, which I think is, is well needed because um, whilst the potential of checkpoint in immunotherapy has been recognized widely, uh, targeting why there's this high non-responder population is a, is a real aim for the field. So I think it's a, a really interesting finding and uh, I look forward to hearing more from Awasti's lab. Really interesting stuff there, Ron. Um, uh, yeah, I think anything that could make cancer treatments more accessible to more people as well would only be a, a positive thing. So you say it's an incredibly expensive um, therapy. One thing I would be interested to know is, because you, as you mentioned, salt is um, pro-inflammatory. Whether, obviously you're seeing beneficial inflammation in areas that you want to, whether they're also seeing as a side effect any sort of, sort of negative impacts as well on yes. the other tissues. Mm -hmm. It's a good question because especially when you know they mentioned the the leakiness of the gut. Now um, they know they essentially looked for increased bifidobacterium in tumor environments, and as we've mentioned, that's usually beneficial. But having bacteria leak out of your gut into just mm. your other tissues generally doesn't seem like a particularly good thing. So not, I think not a great thing. <laughs> not ideal. So you know, it'd be interesting to see whether this particular bacteria maybe it is more benign than than I'm thinking. Yeah. But you know, you'd want to try and make it more targeted, which is why, you know, something like hippuric acid might be more useful because you can sort of bypass the, um, the other potential impacts of the um, bacteria Absolutely. and just focus on the metabolite. But um, it's, uh, I was certainly, certainly caught my eye when I, I noted that there might be a, an excuse for me to start eating vast quantities of, of uh, crisps. <laughs> I was going to say, should I, should I put the salted peanuts down? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's interesting stuff. Yeah, but focusing uh, away from uh, the role of microorganisms inside the body, Karen, you have a very interesting study to talk about looking at microorganisms' role in uh, soils around us. Absolutely. So I think we can all agree plastics are getting a lot of bad press in recent years, um, quite rightly so as well. So from the use of fossil fuels to create them in the first place, the lack of recyclability of certain types, and even colours of plastic. I don't know if You've been aware, Rory, of Joe Lysett's one-man campaign against a certain yogurt-based drink to uh, change their packaging from white plastic to clear plastic, because apparently white plastic uh -huh. is is quite hard to uh, recycle, as are a lot of other colour plastics, whereas clear plastic, much easier. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, and then obviously there's the impact of the presence of having plastic in the environment could potentially have, um, not only on the environment itself, but also on our health. So we've been hearing a lot about the ubiquitous microplastics you know, they're in the air and the water and your food. Um, so you've got yeah, health impacts there as well. So there's loads of drive and desire to create alternatives that are biodegradable. So you're going to relieve the environmental burden and also address some of the issues with disposal and recycling as well. Um, and in answer to this, there have been a number of bio-based. So these are plastics that are made or partially made from materials such as plants and biodegradable plastics uh, have been developed, which sounds great. So there's no need for fossil fuels to make them and you can just compost them when you're done. However, whilst a bio 
biodegradable plastics may degrade given the right conditions of temperature, moisture, pressure, etc., and the right microbes for the job. It's not always a given that you will have though the plastics will find themselves in that kind of environment. So of course, there's the impact that climate change might have on this process as well. If you've got you know differing precipitation, different temperatures, you know, are the processes that are currently working going to work okay in the future? And added to this, there's relatively little. Uh, known about the actual the microorganisms in the soil that are responsible for that degradation process as well. So to address these concerns, a multi-centred team led by soil ecologists at the Helmholtz Centre for Environmental Research have looked at how biodegradable plastics break down in soil, and the results of which have been published in two research papers. So there's one in Environmental Sciences Europe, which is fo focused around the impact that high loads of biodegradable plastics, um, in this case they've looked at PBSA, have on the soil micro microbial population. And the other one, which is published in Environmental Science and Technology, is focused on the impact that the changing climate might have on that degradation process. So they looked at a number of main questions. Uh, so firstly, how quickly does biodegradable plastic degrade? Which microorganisms are involved? Uh, how do they interact? Which conditions promote the degradation process and which ones inhibit it? And lastly, how does a changing climate and precipitation rates associated with climate change affect the degradation of these plastics? So the studies are focused around soil, not only because of the uh, composting as a means of getting rid of your biodegradable plastics, but also because currently vast quantities of traditional plastics are used in the form of films in horticulture and agriculture as a soil covering. And these can then end up, even with um, removal processes in place, you're still get a, a reasonable amount of plastic that can re be retained in the soil and persist over a long time. So obviously the potential to switch to a biodegradable alternative would be very attractive, but it's also important to understand that the implications of doing this might have. So to address these questions, what was carried out on in the world, well, one of the world's largest outdoor climate experiment areas. So this is the Global Change Environmental Facility in Germany. Um, they focused on polybutyl succinate coadaptate, which just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Also known as PBSA. So this is a bio-based plastic, partly made from plants such as cassava, sugarcane or corn, uh, that should in the film form biodegrade under normal agricultural field conditions. So looking at the conditions they looked at in terms of the climate change, they compared today's conditions with those that predicted for Germany in around 2070 or turn of the next century. So in real terms, this represents an increase in mean daily temperature of around 0.55 degrees Celsius, a reduced precipitation of around 20% in summer, and an increase in precipitation of around 10% in spring and autumn. Their study ran for 328 days, so they covered all of the seasons. And to simulate real-world scenario, the PBSA film was placed on and attached to the field surface for 20 days, before then being buried five centimetres under the soil surface. So to look at the results, researchers found that over the period of the study, um, under the current conditions, around 30% of the PBSA was degraded, which is not bad for you know, just under a year. Um, and actually, in the future climate simulation, uh, there was little effect. Um, so this is quite positive news for the future of biodegradable plastics. You know, it was around the same percentage that had biodegraded over that period of time. So they also looked at which microbes were doing the heavy lifting in the degradation process using next generation sequencing to analyze the microbial communities that were present. 
they found quite a cooperative community, which the fungi were leading the degradation process, but they were supported by a diverse um, population of bacterial species and others that were supplying the fungi with nitrogen and also using up some of the toxic degradation products as well. So they were sort of uh, doing the housekeeping, if you like. So whilst the fungi appeared unaffected by the change in the future conditions, they did find a shift in supporting microbial population, but the end result was exactly the same. So it, it seems that the, the predicted future climate was making no change, no difference to this process. So, so far, so good. They also used the soil from the facility in a 90 day lab experiment. Um, so they wanted to look at the impact of having a high load of plastic in the soil, uh, see what impact this had on the microbial population. Uh, so they used about 6% weight per weight of PBSA um, and found this made actually quite a marked change. So the fungal diversity decreased by about 45% and archae decreased by about 13%. Uh, in all terms of the actual species as well, there was quite a significant shift in both the bacterial and fungal uh, population that were present. Uh, they also looked at the impact of adding a nitrogenous-based fertilizer to try and mimic a real-world situation. So obviously on a farm, um, you're going to be using fertilizers of some kind and the nitrogen-based ones are the commonly used ones. And they found actually a combination of the high plastic burden and the nitrogen-based fertilizer magnified the effects they were seeing. And this was attributed to um, a decrease in soil pH and a shift towards nitrophilic bacteria. They also detected promotion the growth of um, species called Fusarium solani. And this isn't actually an important plant pathogen, so it's something that's really not welcomed by farmers. Um, they also found an increase in both human and animal pathogens. Uh, so this suggests that high levels of PBSA in the soil, especially in the present, presence of nitrogen-based fertilizers, is actually quite bad news for microbial diversity and health. However, there is a caveat from the, the researchers on this. The levels of PBSA they were using in this study, uh, I said around 6% weight per weight, um, is actually much, much higher than you'd see in a normal agricultural setting. However, it could be typical of the sort of level you might see in a landfill site. So it might have implications for um, remedial works in, in these areas. So conclusion, um, the news for biogradable plastic seems to be a bit of a mixed bag. So PBSA in soil can degrade efficiently. Uh, thanks to a community of fungi that were supported by bacteria. And even in the uh, predicted future climate, this uh, looks like it, it functions pretty well. However, there are areas subject to high levels of PBSA, especially in the presence of nitrogen-based fertilizers, are likely to see significant reductions in their microbial diversity and an increase in pathogenic species, which is not such good news. I think uh, it's just so unusual to hear environmental study and good news in the, the, same, <laughs> the same sentence these days but it's an absolutely fascinating study Karen I think just to try and work out the effort that goes into creating a real world situation like that with you know all the, all the time that's gone into it sounds like a really yeah. interesting facility doesn't it just like a absolutely yeah, yeah. outdoor climate lab in uh, in Germany it sounds absolutely fascinating um I I wonder the the first question that comes to my mind is what are the steps between those findings and you know using that um using the won't try and do the, the full term it's too too complicated but uh, ppsa <laughs> um to using ppsa in real world situations i mean 
I, I wonder the, you know, w- when that can filter down and, and what the, the steps would be, whether or not the research team have any sort of connections with agricultural sites that they could be convinced to, to give it a trial, um, you know, a, a clinical trial for mm-hmm. PBSA, if you would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think a lot of the these kind of groups that work closely with agriculture, because obviously it's not only important for science and research, it's important for the farmers as well, because you, you don't want to, for example, um, here, you don't want to be promoting conditions that are going to mean you get more pathogens on your crops. So it's, it's in everyone's best interest to work together on something like this. Um, the farmers also, you, they don't want to be picking up you know, miles and miles of plastic off their land. Um, so if they can have a biodegradable alternative, which helps them, then you know, so definitely so much the better. Um, I think it's just you know, one step in a process because it's such a, I think the microbiome in general, like we've really barely scratched the surface. I mean, it, like your study, microbiome work, this study, but there's so much we don't know about the importance of the microbiome, not just in ourselves, but in the soil, in our environment, and the, the important role that it plays. I think anything that we can add to what we do and don't know about this has got to be positive. No, absolutely. I think I think it's only recently that we've we've got even the the sequencing techniques to be able to know what we don't know, if you see what I mean. Oh completely. Yeah, completely. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Like the technology, as you say, and also the price as well to be able to do it, because <clears throat> even when I started in the lab, the price of sequencing was so prohibitive. A lot of these studies just wouldn't have been feasible. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, it's the technology has really helped the science move along. Well, when it gets cheap enough to uh, sequence what's killing all my houseplants, I will make sure <laughs> to make sure to get on that because it's I'm looking at one right now and it is not in a good way. Oh, dear. water it more. <laughs> water it. Maybe, maybe that. Okay, that's that outlandish, yeah. outlandish theory, but it could be, could be the answer. Um, but Karen, thank you very much for sharing your microbiome oh, studies you. with me today, and uh, I hope all our listeners have enjoyed our discussion today. Please, wherever you're listening, do share and subscribe to our podcast, and of course, drop some comments on it and let us know what you think. But until next time, that's bye for now.